Once again, thanks for being here. Glad you're here to worship with us uh, this morning. I want to start this morning, uh, in case you didn't hear earlier, we are having a trivia night in a couple weeks on a Saturday evening. That's to raise some money for our mission trip to Haiti upcoming in November. So trivia night, I encourage you to be here. And I thought I would warm you up a bit this morning by starting out with a little uh, quiz question, okay? So I'm going I'm to ask you to raise your hands on this one. Don't just blurt it out, okay? But a uh, quiz question for this morning. Who can tell me? who Nick Walenda is. Shelly Terrell, I saw her hand first. Shelly, who is Nick Walenda? Tightrope walker, exactly. Did anyone else know that? Nick Walenda comes from the family called the Flying Walendas. That's right, the Flying Walendas. And, and Nick, you've probably seen on TV in past years. In 2012, Nick uh, went over Niagara Falls tightrope walking in uh, 2013, you might have seen Nick tightrope across the Grand Canyon. And then in 2014, I think it was, uh, in New York City, Nick set two Guinness records in 2014. One was the longest tightrope blindfolded, and the second Guinness record that Nick set was the steepest ascent on a tightrope. So Nick Walenda also claims uh, to be a Christian, comes from a Christian family. I don't know if he has Philippians 4.13 on the back of his shirt as he tightrope walks. Um, If you don't get that joke, you weren't here last week, listen to the sermon. But uh, Nick Walenda, and uh, just another question, if, if, if Nick were here or if we were to ask, if I were able to interview Nick and just ask him a question, if I were to ask him, Nick, when you were up above the Grand Canyon, hundreds or thousands of feet above the Grand Canyon, or perhaps if you're in the, across the skyline of New York City, Nick, if you were to fall off the tightrope, would you prefer to fall to your left or to your right? What do you suppose Nick would say? I'm, I'm assuming that Nick would say, you know what, it really doesn't matter because when I hit the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it's over. It doesn't matter whether I fall to the left or to the, if I fall to the right, but I'm falling and that's bad. That's danger. That's probably death. Um, I say that this morning because this morning I have to tightrope walk, Okay. I have to tightrope walk, not fall off the left or not fall off the right. And here's what I mean. The topic that we're talking about this morning is the topic of money and giving. Oh boy, some of you just sunk down in your seats. That's right, money and giving. In fact, I have some uh, guests here for the first time from my neighborhood and I'm like, oh, you're here on the morning the preacher is gonna talk about money, right? It's Murphy's Law. When you visit a church, they're either talking about money or the main preacher's gone or something like that or having a building campaign. But this morning, I have to walk this tightrope as we talk about money. And here's what I mean. We can fall off this tightrope in one of two directions. One direction would be to just avoid the topic and don't talk about money. In fact, some churches are about this. Just avoid the topic of money. There's been too much hurt. There's been too much abuse. So just don't talk about it. I would suggest that that is falling off one side, perhaps the left side of the tightrope. The other error, the other fall that we can make is to talk about money all the time. 
Just every week and all the time, money, money, money. And preachers are always talking about money and they want money. And certainly we have a plethora of examples and many that we can point to on TV, of course, where they're constantly talking about money. And I would just suggest to you that both of those approaches are wrong. We can't avoid the topic and we can't talk about it all the time either. But we do have to talk about it. We have to talk about it in a balanced way. So some people have said, are you going to talk about money as a, as a preacher, as a pastor? And this has been my response to them. I'm going to talk about it as many times as the Bible talks about it. And guess what? Our passage this morning brings up this issue, brings up this topic of giving. And so we're going to talk about it. And we're going to try to avoid falling to the left or falling to the right. Because quite honestly, I think our enemy this morning... Satan himself would love for us to have one approach or the other, but certainly not to walk the tightrope. So that's our approach. And let me also say this. Let me also challenge us with this. In another sense, where we live in our context, okay, our cultural context, last week I talked a lot about context, but in our cultural context here in Column County, Tarrant County, let me ask the question this way. How can we not talk about money? How can we not talk about money given where we are? I saw our article the other day. The headline was that that Frisco is the second fastest growing city in our nation. Routinely, every year, we are in the top five, top 10 of the highest median incomes in our nation. So my question to us, my question to myself as a pastor is, how can I not talk about this? We live in a land, in a place of affluence and wealth, and consumerism, and stuff, stuff, stuff. How can I be faithful to the scriptures if I don't talk about this? But I'm going to try, as I try in many areas of preaching and in theological ministry, to walk the balance, to walk the tightrope, because I think particularly even perhaps in our political conversations today, oftentimes we get unbalanced. We fall off one side or the other, and, and some, uh, some are trying to get us not uh, uh, to be kind to one another, but to even promote kind of a class warfare. Whereas we look at the rich with disdain or hate toward the rich, And others might have us look toward the poor with disdain or hate. But I think the Bible would would reject either of those simplistic conclusions. What the Bible would say is just because you're rich, Collin County, Tarrant County, Frisco, just because you're rich doesn't necessarily mean that you are blessed by God. And just because you are poor doesn't necessarily mean that you are lazy or irresponsible or somehow negligent. It's more complex than that. So avoid the class warfare. God has some things to say to rich people. God has some things to say to poor people. And he has a lot more than we might be comfortable with to say about money and giving. So that's where we are this morning. So turn in your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and today we are concluding this message series that's been uh, over four 
months long as we've looked at these four chapters, this wonderful letter of, of Paul to the Philippians. We conclude this morning in verses 10 through 23. Verses 10 through 13 will be a bit of a review from last week, but they set up verses 14 through 23 as we come to a conclusion this morning. So if I've asked uh, Miss Jill Hessen to stand and read the passage for us this morning and uh, just follow along with Jill and then I'll uh, open our time in prayer. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help in my needs once and again. Again, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thank you, Jill. Will you pray with me? Father God, as we open your word and we look at this uh, sometimes uncomfortable topic, I pray that you would um, speak to us. And where we uh, need to hear from you, our hearts would be open, that our ears would be open to receive what you have for us. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would work through your word by your spirit and uh, you would remove me as a distraction if I say anything in error or unhelpful, Lord, that you would quickly take it from our memories but work in our hearts. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus, not, in, not only in providing for our physical needs but providing for our spiritual needs for loving us uh, to the point of a bloody death in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace and pray that your grace would change us and continue to change us as we serve you in this world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as we begin here this morning, uh, just by way of review, something I may not have said as frequently through this series as I need to, but as, as we look at the whole book of Philippians... What we're really reading, what we've received in the book of Philippians, quite frankly, is a thank you letter. A thank you letter to the church in Philippi for supporting Paul, for sending him help, for sending him financial assistance uh, at times in his ministry. Uh, this, this letter is incredibly positive, as we've seen. He's incredibly affectionate for this church that he helped found 
We find that, that founding of that church in Acts chapter 16. We've referred to that throughout uh, the weeks of our study. But quite frankly, this is a thank you letter, a handwritten thank you letter. If you've made a donation to a ministry or a nonprofit, no doubt they got your address and no doubt they have sent you a follow-up thank you. Many times it's just a formal uh, form letter with your name attached to it. But this, this morning that we're looking at and that we've been looking at for the past months is a thank you letter. A handwritten thank you letter from Paul to people that have been supporting him, people that he calls partners in his ministry. And as we get, as we conclude chapter four this morning, we see that he is thankful. It's very clear that he is thankful and appreciative of them for their help, for their financial partnership. And this idea of partnering and this idea of giving to the work of ministry and giving to Christ's kingdom uh, comes on the heels of the three verses that we looked at last week, which were primarily centered on what? Contentment. If you're here last week, you know that last week we looked at the most popular verse in the book of Philippians, which is... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That's what we looked at last week. And my admonition to you, I hope if you, if you don't remember anything else from last week's message, that you'll remember this. Context, context, context. And we said, looking at Philippians 4.13, it really isn't about athletic accomplishment. It's not uh, primarily written to help us get the next job promotion. In fact, it actually has more application for our job loss than our job promotion. It actually has more application for our athletic injuries than our athletic achievements. It's about contentment. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, comes in the context of Paul being in prison and saying, I can, I can make it. I've found contentment. I've learned contentment. And guess what? The topic of giving financially to the kingdom of God and to the Lord's work, guess what? It follows contentment. It follows in the context of contentment. Now, let me ask you this. I shared last week, Philippians 4.13 was the verse on the back of my summer weight camp shirt that I got in high school. You know, we're trying to max out every Friday. What, what's our bench press? You know, what's our mile time? And on the back of our t-shirt says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We see that with athletic competition all the time. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever heard Philippians 4.13 as a key verse for giving financially? <laughs> I haven't. But it comes right in that context. It's like, hey, I'm strapped. You know, I, I, I don't have a six-figure salary. I can't give to the Lord's work. Well, let me remind you of Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he begins to talk about money. <clears throat> Whoops. So point number one here, and this is really a review of last week. Point number one is learn contentment. Learn contentment. Because the grace of God drives contentment, and con contentment in this life can drive our generosity and our giving. Do you see that? Grace drives contentment, and grace drives generosity. Let me show you uh, what I mean here. Look back at the very second, not the first, but the second verse of the whole letter. Philippians chapter 1-2. Look at how we started the letter way back months ago. We looked at grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he begins with a salutation, a greeting of grace. And that's more than just a, a howdy, a Texas howdy. There's that, that's packed. He's, he's saying, I want you to, to know grace. 
And look at how he ends the letter, the very last sentence of Philippians. Look at it, verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The bookends of this letter, folks, from beginning to end, the bookends are grace. The grace of Jesus. What's the grace of Jesus mean? What is the grace of Jesus? Grace, simply defined, is God's unmerited favor toward us. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It means that on the cross and even beyond the cross and just through life, that God has has laid on us merit, favor that we did not deserve. That's the definition of the cross, that Jesus bled for us. Christ died for us even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us and God's grace was given to us apart from our earning it. God's favor is on us not because we earn it, but because he is gracious himself. What does that have anything to do with contentment or giving? Let me tell you what that has to do with. If we have the favor of God on our life, unmerited favor through Jesus, what that means is we have a status in God that is given to us apart from works, apart from our status in the world. Well, what does that mean, Ross? Well, In contrast to living under the grace of Christ, what we typically do, the default, uh, just the default place of our heart is not to receive the grace of God, but to find favor in the world ourselves through our works or through our status or through our accomplishments. We need, we have this desire in us to find favor before God and before other people. So if you don't know the grace of God, this is how you live your life, even subconsciously, unconsciously, perhaps. You live your life trying to seek favor of other people and earn favor from God. But what the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ does to our heart, and we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we have to receive this grace ongoing so we remember. But if we know the grace of God, we go out into the world not trying to find favor ourselves through our job, through our status, through our success, through the accumulation of all the stuff and through bigger houses and through better cars. We don't have to attain status in this world because we have the favor and the status of God freely. Do you see the difference? And if you have the grace of God, then you can give away your stuff. You can let go of earthly status. You can let go of earthly stuff because your status is bound up not in what you do or what you have, but in what God has given you. You follow me? The grace of God releases us to have to measure up at work, to have to measure up in the neighborhood, to have the right home and the right car because of the grace of God, we have the favor of God and therefore we can release our stuff and our status to God. So grace fuels contentment and grace fuels giving. It releases us to let go and give rather than to keep climbing and climbing and climbing and trying to get status and trying to get favor. That's the context as we go into verses 14 through 23. We learn contentment. And then secondly, his second point, or my second point this morning from verses 14 through 18, point number two is form partnerships. Form partnerships. Look again in chapter four, verse 15. 
or let's actually read uh, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now look at verse 15. How does he describe their giving? He doesn't just say you're givers. He actually says, you've entered into partnership with me. You haven't just provided for my needs, but you've become a partner to me in the gospel. That's what I mean by form partnerships. When we give to the work of the Lord, whether it's to our church or whether it's other kingdom things that we give to, we're not just giving, we're not just sacrificing, although we are giving, but we are partnering with other missions and other ministries in the work of God. It's a partnership. He says this also. He, again, bookends in his letter. Go back to chapter one, verse five. Chapter one, uh, I'll read three through five. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He started the letter by thanking them, thanking them for their partnership in the gospel. And look, as we get to chapter four, verse 15, he says, I thank you that you've been a partner to me, a consistent, committed partner to me in giving and receiving form partnerships. Let me ask you again. Do you think about your tithe? Do you think about your giving to ministry as just a sacrifice? Or do you think about it as a partnership? It's a partnership. You're partnering with the church. You're partnering with other missions. I talked to our friend, John Bockelman, who's one of our missions partners here. I, he, a couple months ago, we were having coffee and he said, we don't just need money, we need partners. Those are his exact words. Not just people to write me a check, but the people to pray for me and to pray for my family and to pray for Russia as I travel there. And now it's getting harder to get in there and the ministry is even more crucial. We don't just need money, we need partners. And that's what Paul is thanking them here for. Thank you for your partnership. Let's look quickly at what their partnership looked like here. We'll run through this quickly. But first of all, the Philippians' partnership was outstanding. It was outstanding. Look with me at verse 15. It says, they partnered with him while others didn't. Verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. What's he saying? That's his kind, that's his kind way of saying most people are pretty selfish. And most churches even are pretty selfish. But you're out for the gospel. You're partnering with me. And, 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 and I appreciate it so much. Verse 14, I love the honesty of the Bible here. Verse 14, look, look at that with me. It comes on the context that we looked at last week. He said, I'm content. I've learned to be content. I don't need your money. I've learned to be content with plenty. I've learned to be content in need. But then in verse 14, I love the honesty of him here. He says, but I really appreciate you sharing in my trouble. <laughs> Isn't that great? Hey, I, I'm content. I can do without, but I really appreciate you partnering in my trouble. And he calls it trouble. It's been tough. He's been going from city to city, being persecuted. He hasn't had a home in every city. He's, 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 he's been run out of some towns. But he's saying, thanks for sharing in my trouble. That's outstanding. And in verse 18, he says, now uh, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Forgot to say this earlier. 
But the church of Philippi had sent this representative. They didn't just, you know, wire some money through PayPal to Paul over in Rome. They sent this guy. They had to send a, a carrier, a courier, and the carrier is Epaphroditus. And so they sent their gift. It's probably some monetary cash, but also maybe some needs, some supplies that he had, things that he needed. And so he's saying, I've received your gift from Epaphroditus. And now because of your outstanding contribution, I'm well supplied. Not only is their partnership outstanding, secondly, it's longstanding. It's longstanding. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, at length, underline at length. This wasn't just a one-time gift. This wasn't just, hey, the Salvation Army is ringing the bell, so I'll throw some quarters in there. No, this was ongoing. At length, you have revived. And that word revived, underline that. That means you started You've been faithful from the beginning and now you've revived your concern for me. Again, you've sent money. Longstanding, also look at verse 16. Verse, six, verse 16 says that they sent him help once and again. Folks, as we give, the best way to give is a committed, consistent giving. It's one thing to write someone or a ministry a check for $100. You know what, what's even better than that? Is to write a check every month for $10 or $25. They were consistent. They were outstanding. They were also long-standing, committed for the long time. And thirdly, their partnership with Paul was mutual. I mean, it's called a partnership. And in verse 15, he says, it's not just that they gave, but they, they partnered in giving and receiving. Well, what did they receive from Paul? I mean, did he, did he send them uh, a tax credit at the end of the year that they were able to write it off? Or did he give them, you know, a, a coupon for Chick-fil-A, something free? What, what, was the, what did they receive? Well, they received for one, his letter and his encouragement and his prayers. Do you know that as you give to ministries and you know that as you give to missionaries, they're so thankful for that that they pray for you? So that the people that you're blessing are actually blessing you by praying for you and thanking God for you. It's mutual, it's giving and receiving. Man, this, folks, is radical. Radical. Again, we live in a county. We live in an area of accumulation, of wealth, of stuff. And I'm not saying that to be rich is to be bad. The Bible would not tell us that. But the love of money is a problem. And you don't know what I give. You see what car I drive. You might see what house I live in. But... Ultimately, you don't know what I'm giving. I don't know what you're giving. I don't ever know what people give. The elders around, pastors, we don't know what people individually give. But to be a sacrificial person in a culture of accumulation and comfort is a big deal. And it's at the heart of not just partaking of the gospel, but partnering in the gospel. It's radical. It's also commitment. It shows commitment. And it blesses not just the person that you give or not just the church that you give to or the mission that you give to, but it becomes a mutual blessing to you too as you actually receive back. So we're only going to talk about giving when the Bible brings it up. (laughs) But the Bible mentions it more than you and I are probably comfortable with. And so this morning, this passage gives me an opportunity to talk to you as members, particularly our church family, about the giving here at Centennial Church. And folks, God has been so faithful to us through the years, through our people, through your generosity. In fact, I, I, 
I, I think we may have missed a budget by a couple thousand dollars in the last few years, but most of the time, most years that I remember, we have always hit our budget somehow, some way. So I just want a little family business here this morning. This morning, as, as, as we finish June, um, we're about $50,000 behind in our giving budget. $50,000 behind. Our, our monthly budget is $55,000 a month. So we're basically one month behind budget. Okay, We think some of that has happened because we have a new giving system and now there's a longer lag. And so some of the things that used to count in June are now falling into July. So we're, we're not super concerned about it, but we are concerned about it. And we always say around here, we want to treat you as adults. So I, I want you to know that, that we need your partnership to support the missionaries that, that we've committed to, to minister to our kids and to our students and to you and to support the things that God is doing here as well as through here. A couple of weeks ago, we brought forth two, two new missionaries that we've committed as a church to support monthly. Navigator Ministry in Nashville, Tennessee. College Young Life Ministry in Fayetteville, Arkansas. God, Fayetteville's messed up, folks. Just kidding. They need the gospel. <laughs> But our own kids, kids that have gone through our middle school and high school program, your kids, some of you that sit down that are, that are going out into full-time ministry that we want to support, and we're $50,000 behind, and we're going to keep making those, those, cutting those checks to our missions, but we need your help. About $20,000 of our budget this year was set aside for some improvements around here, audio and visual improvements in here, other aesthetic things in here. Um, personal improvement. We won't spend that money unless we have that money, or at least we're closer to it. So we need your partnership to not just to meet a budget, but to, to further the work of the kingdom. We don't just need members. We need partners. In fact, I know one church in the Dallas area that they don't use the term membership anymore because they say membership, what, has its privileges, but they call their members partners. I think that's great. Folks, we need your partnership to move on, to move forward. We're sending a team to Haiti in November. They're gonna build a home in Haiti. We still need some men, women to go on that home building trip. We've raised $4,000 and we need about $2,000 more to finish, to have the supplies to build that house. We need $2,000 more. God's been faithful every time. And typically he's faithful through us, praying it through, seeking the Lord and giving out of the grace that he has given to us. I'm gonna post, I've, I've posted this before, but I'm gonna post this afternoon on our Facebook page, a little article. I don't have time to go into it today, but the article is entitled this, are Christians required to tithe? Do I have to give 10%? That's a complex question. Uh, I'm gonna post an article about it. So go on our Facebook page if you want to answer that question. Um, the main thing is, I think, that God's telling us to give, to partner, okay? And ultimately, it's not about meeting our budget. It's about being obedient and faithful to what God has called us to do. Your responsibility as you walk out of here this morning is not to meet the church budget or to fund a, a missionary solely by yourself. Your goal as we walk out of here this morning, our, all of our goals are to be faithful to what God's asked us to do, to be obedient. And you know, and some are probably sitting here, no doubt, in a room this size, this many people, some of you are sitting here and you're like, man, I've got nothing. 
I'm strapped. In fact, I'm drowning. Our situation, man, I'm a single mom, or man, we have got our such a, in such debt. I, I got nothing. And what I want to offer to you this morning is not guilt, but a life jacket to say, let us help you. We have elders and deacons and other people in our body that could offer you counsel, that could look at your finances with you and help you get to a place of health. So please, if you're sitting right here now and you're just wallowing in guilt, please don't. Take that as a gift from the Lord, a gift of the Holy Spirit to say, man, I, I need some help in this. Some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh, you know, you've definitely fallen off the tightrope now. Move on, you know, get going. I don't, I, I don't have it. I just, I just don't have it. Well, let me challenge you this way, okay? You gonna go out to eat this week? You gonna stop at Chili's, spend 20 or 25 bucks? You don't have it? Let me challenge you this way. Go home, make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, put that $25 in your pocket, and then drop it in the offering next week. You can find it. You can make a sacrifice. And when Elizabeth and I got married, she wasn't working yet. I was making less than a, than a teacher's salary. It was tough. And we committed, we're gonna do this even when it hurts. And the, Lord's, the Lord honors that. Man, I, I'm, t- I'm strapped, I can't do it. Let me ask you another question. You got cable TV? Drop it. By the way, you don't need cable TV anyway because you can get all the stuff on Netflix and Hulu. It's not necessary. Don't have it? Too strapped? Don't go to Chili's. Drop cable. Drop something else. But find a way to take a small step, bigger step towards faithfulness and obedience to what God has asked you to do. You know, we, we didn't start at 10% when we got married. Um, we couldn't, but we started consistently. And so here's, here's one practical, I'm gonna step away from the pulpit here because step away from the Bible here because now I'm giving you my opinion, okay? It's not coming from the Bible. But just practical helps here. I think you should start with a percentage and I think you should give consistently. I think I can support that with the Bible actually. Um, and I also think that your first priority should be your church home. I also think I can support that biblically. But here's, here's something that we've done at times in our marriages. We said, you know what? On, on Ross's, on my salary, we're gonna tithe. And we're gonna do that consistently. And then when Elizabeth did get a job, when she had an income, we said, you know what? We're not gonna give that tithe to the church, but we're gonna use the tithe or the percentage from her income. And we're gonna set that aside to other missions besides the church. Maybe it's in Ethiopia. Maybe it's through East West Ministry. Maybe it's someone that we hear about in our congregation or in our neighborhood that's going through a tough time. And we just wanna have a monthly stash set aside to say, you know what? This is the money we've set aside to help people who've lost their jobs. And so monthly, we had some elasticity to figure out where do we wanna use that money? That's what we've done. Again, it's not coming from the Bible. It's just a suggestion. It's something that we've done. But I think it needs to be consistent. Okay, you follow? Some of you are glazed over. Third point. Third point, trust God's provision. Trust God's provision. Look again with me at verses 18 through 20. 
He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Look at the promise of verse 19. What a wonderful verse. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? God's going to give you what you need. But hold on, time out. Remember how we talked about last week, the most, one of the most important things we do as we study the Bible is what? Context, context, context. So let me ask you this question. As verse 19 is written, who is verse 19? Who is that promise given to to? It's given to people that have been giving. So let me ask you a follow-up question. If you're not giving to the Lord's work, can you claim the promise of verse 19? Go home and think about that, okay? If I'm not giving, can I claim the promise of verse 19? Context, context, context. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let me also take you to a great passage preached on this a couple years ago, but Malachi, there's only one place in the Bible that I'm aware of where God says, test me in this. And it's about giving. Look at Malachi chapter three with me. I think we're gonna read uh, verses seven through 12. Malachi three, he says, The prophet says, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more. What is he saying? He's saying, you're not giving and put me to the test. Try me to see if you don't give that I will not supply your needs and not your wants, but your needs. And again, this morning, I walked the tightrope because I walked the tightrope because here, what, I, what I'm saying is, I'm not, what I'm not saying is give to get. Or if you send the preacher on TV, you know, $100, it will come back tenfold, $1,000 or whatever. I don't do math. I'm not saying give to get. I'm not saying prosperity teaching, okay? But there is this promise here that I will be faithful to you. If you trust me with your stuff, if you trust me with your money, you can trust me with your stuff, with your needs. You see it? Elizabeth and I have some friends, and uh, it was this past year, it was was back in November, actually, they were um, in a difficult place, um, somewhat financially and definitely in their marriage, and uh, they hadn't been to church in years, and guess what? They put the Lord to the test. And my buddy said, you know what? I listened to this message on tithing, and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna do it. And they did it, and they got back into church, and he tells me that, and like, you know, religiously, every time he gets the paycheck, the first 
money he transfers is towards his tithe. And since he's been doing that, guess what? Some of those financial problems have been taken care of. Both of them got promotions in their work. They put God to the test and they found him faithful. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that little bit of faithfulness and obedience has just excelled their walk with the Lord. Because it's specific, because it's practical. See, it's, it's easy for us to say, you know what, God, I, I, uh, I trust you with my health. You know, and, and you kind of go along and maybe you get a head cold or whatever, or maybe you got bad allergies. God, I'm trusting you with my health or I'm trusting you that my kids are gonna turn all right, out all right. They're gonna, they're gonna grow up and they're gonna serve you. And, and there's, there's a pretty long timeline on that. Like, you don't know if it's really working out. Is, is God really taking care of my health? Is God really gonna take care of my kids? Are they gonna turn out all right? But when you talk about money, it's like next month, you know, <laughs> do I have what I need? Or six months from now, you see, wow, I took a step of faith and I've been okay. He's faithful. He's faithful. And the result of it all is joy. You remember how he started verse 10? He says in verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now you've revived your concern for me. Give brings joy not only to the recipient, but also to the giver, right? Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It results in joy, but guess what it also results in? It also results in glory to God. God is pleased and God is glorified. Look again at verse 18. The gifts that you've sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Do you know that you, if you make a sacrifice this week, of lunch at Chili's or cable TV, that it's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable to God. That's what it says. And look at verse 20. How does he conclude? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you give, you get joy. You share joy. And when you give, God gets glory. God is pleased. So give. Because of the grace of God, give generously in the work of his mission, in the work of his kingdom. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you this morning and you're the most generous person we know. You have given us so much. You have blessed us incredibly. God, we thank you, not only that you've provided for our financial needs, but you've provided on the cross for our spiritual needs that forever and ever, 10,000 years from now, we will live in joy. We will live with all we ever need because we're with you. Lord, I pray for those this morning um, who are struggling, those that right now feel the conviction of your Holy Spirit that they've messed up, that maybe they feel they're too far gone, Lord, but your Holy Spirit would comfort them and encourage them to reach out and get help where they need help. And Lord, we pray that your grace would be so real to us 
that we would open our hands and be generous people. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.